are in the book of Mark, and we are almost to the end of this incredible book. We're in chapter 14 this morning, and I've got a short message this morning, but there's a powerful truth in this story, uh, and we're talking about the anointing of Jesus right before his death on the cross, and it's from um, Mark 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning, and uh, we'll do it in a couple different chunks, but we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, and it, we're coming to the conclusion of this Easter story, uh, where the moment where Jesus will put a stamp on this incredible uh, story of his death and then ultimately his resurrection. Uh, and this is right before, in the days leading up to that, that moment. And verse 1 in chapter 14 says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So they're recognizing what's going on. Jesus had just entered Jerusalem. Everybody was excited to see him. There were people waving palm branches. In fact, that's what we're celebrating today on Palm Sunday. People shouting, Hosanna. And... Uh, they're leading up to this weekend, and I want to talk about the Passover real quickly here. The Passover was a week-long celebration, but it also mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that was one specific night in the Passover. Last year, uh, we actually went through what that Feast of Unleavened Bread would look like, and we walked through the different steps of what that Passover meal was like and talked about how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Passover. Um, the number of, uh, of uh, correlations between what happened in the Passover, which is the celebration of the Israelites leaving Egypt, to the life of Jesus and how he fulfilled that is incredible. In fact, if you're interested in this, if you're, if you're curious about this, go on YouTube and look. There's a video called 24 Ways the Passover Was Fulfilled by Jesus. If you search that, um, that's where I got a lot of the information that I used last year uh, for this teaching. It's, it's just an incredible picture of Scripture, and, and it really pulls together how God ordained this plan from the very beginning, how it wasn't an accident, how Jesus fulfilled every prophecy from the Old Testament. Um, it's, it's really incredible. It's really interesting. If you have time, I'd encourage you to take a look at that as we celebrate uh, the Passover is actually this Wednesday. Um, now, if you uh, Otherwise, you can even go online and see the service from last year. That was our Good Friday service last year. Okay, but let's keep going in verse 3. And while he was still at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, are you picturing this in your mind right now? Like you, you probably are even putting a face to the, the indignant people. Like you know people that are like this. Why is the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. I love that. <laughs> Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whatever you want, you can, do, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. All right, so the picture that's painted for us in the book of Mark here is they're at the house of Simon the leper. Now, we don't know a great deal about this guy other than the fact that that he must not be a leper anymore, right? That's his title. But lepers were not allowed to socialize with other people. So the fact that he's having a party at his house means he used to have leprosy and now he doesn't anymore. I'm going to go out of the limb here, okay, and assume that the reason that he doesn't have leprosy anymore is because he was one of the ones that Jesus healed of that awful disease. And so Simon is holding this party at his house, and um, it, uh, we also get this account in, in the book of John. The same story is told. And even though Mark doesn't necessarily name a lot of names, John does. And so he tells us that Lazarus is there. Now, if you remember the story of Lazarus, uh, he was the one that was raised from the dead by Jesus after four days of being dead. He was called out of his tomb. I mean, can you imagine the stories that are going around this table right now? Simon's like, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus and what he did for me. I had leprosy. I was condemned by society. I was isolated by myself. Nobody would even come within a hundred feet of me. In fact, I had to walk through the streets yelling, leper, leper, so that everybody would know and they could clear out. But Jesus came and he touched me and he healed me. And then you got Lazarus and he's like, oh, that story's cute. <laughs> like, oh, congratulations on your leprosy. Like, maybe go see a dermatologist. I got a real story for you. Let me one-up that, right? I was dead. For four days, I was dead, and Jesus called me out of the tomb, and I walked out of that tomb. They, they started pulling off the dressings off of me because I was, I was alive and I was healthy once again. Jesus saved my life. And then you have, we also know that, um, that Martha was there serving the meal, um, now, Mary and Martha, we, we hear about their story in the book of Luke and how Jesus was having dinner with them. And if you remember, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. And Martha was like, hey, Jesus, would you tell my annoying sister to get in the kitchen with me and help me serve this meal instead of just sitting uh, at your feet the whole time? And Jesus kind of rebuked her and said, um, she's chosen that which is better. Now, I, I want to emphasize something here. I want to talk about Martha for a second because I think this is really important. In fact, when we read John's account of this story that we're talking about this morning, guess who was serving dinner? Martha, right? <laughs> Jesus was not rebuking her because she was serving. He was rebuking her because she was distracted, right? That's what scripture tells us, that she was distracted with her serving and that she was faulting Mary for choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha wasn't wrong for serving, okay? She was wrong for being distracted. She was wrong for judging Mary. We are all called to serve, but everyone needs time at Jesus' feet. Everyone needs time at Jesus' feet. I was talking in a group of pastors with, with a guy named Pastor Jerry Stranquist. He was the pastor at uh, Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington, which is a, a large church. 
and he was retiring at that time, and it was just before he had retired, and um, someone at the, our table asked him, well, what are you going to do now that you're retired, play golf? And he said, no, I'm going to move to Arizona where my kids live, so no one knows who I am. I'm going to go to their church, and I'm going to serve in the nursery so I can give moms and dads a moment of rest so that they can go sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, there are lots of stories about pastors of large churches and how they're terrible people and how they do terrible things. You don't really hear about the retired pastor serving anonymously in his church's nursery, right? That's the heart of Jesus right there. And Martha is doing it again. She's doing what she loves to do. She's serving because she has a servant's heart. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her this time. It was, it was her distraction before that was the problem. But then comes this woman with this alabaster flask. And Mark doesn't say who it is, but again, John's a name dropper, right? He tells us, he tells us who's who. And so we know from John's account that this woman who came and anointed Jesus was Mary. It was Mary. Mary is an extravagant worshiper, right? She was in that dinner party that they were having earlier as Martha was serving the meal. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. And this time she takes an alabaster flask full of perfume. It says a pound of perfume, a pound of this ointment. And uh, I'm assuming that this bottle was sealed and that's why she broke it open. Maybe she just didn't want to bother with the lid and she just broke it open anyway. She's like, I'm going to use it all here anyway. Might as well. And she opened this alabaster jar and she poured it out over Jesus' head. Now, some would say that if you look at John's gospel, it says that she pours it out over his feet and that she wipes his feet with her hair. And that's a contradiction in scripture. And so we can't trust the scriptures. Listen, this is a pound of perfume, okay? It's a large jar of this, this perfume. There's plenty to cover his head and his feet, okay? You don't have to pick one or the other. I, I know, like, when, when I put on cologne or something like that, like, I'm pretty conservative with the stuff. Like, I will spray it in the air, then wait a second, and then just do the walkthrough. Oh, don't act like you don't do it too, right? This was not that, okay? This was not that. This was, this was Mary going full teenage boy on Jesus. Now, I can say this. I can say this because I used to be one. All right? But, like, you know teenagers can't just take a little Axe body spray and squirt it in the air and walk through it. No, 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 no. This is how it works. They take the entire can, and they take a shower in Axe body spray, okay? And just pour it all over till every inch of their body is covered with this stuff. And that way they don't have to take a real shower. You all know what I'm talking about, right? This is what Mary is doing in this moment. She's worshiping extravagantly. She's pouring out this entire bottle of ointment on Jesus. Now, Mark tells us that it was worth 300 denarii. A denarii, one denarii, would have been a day's wages. Now, Jews would generally work six days a week in this culture, and they would get paid on those six days. They wouldn't get paid for the day that they took off. So there would be 
If you exclude some holidays, there would be roughly 300 workdays in a year. This was a year's salary worth of ointment that she poured out on Jesus' head. That would be, I mean, you think about that in today's terms, what a median household income is in, in our culture today. Now, we often celebrate when somebody that's extremely wealthy gives an extraordinary gift to the church or to missions or for a cause. In fact, I was reading an article about some celebrities that had given um, millions and millions of dollars um, to different causes, and, and that's amazing and fascinating. But how about a normal woman of modest means who gives a gift that equates to a year's worth of work in an instant? For Jesus. That is an extravagant gift. That is a sacrifice. And some people are upset with that, right? Mark tells us that, that there were a group of people that began to talk. This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now, again, Mark doesn't say exactly who it was, but John once again, gives us the key. The ringleader of this conversation, if you know the scriptures or maybe even you know a little bit about Jesus' disciples, you can probably guess who it was. It was Judas. It was Judas, the one that was going to betray Jesus. He was upset that she poured out this gift. She, he's like, why didn't you just donate that? We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, Listen, you're always going to have the poor. She's done a beautiful thing to me. Now, I want to be clear about this. Jesus is not using this moment as an opportunity to tell us that we don't need to care about the poor. Um, I actually heard a story recently. Uh, R.C. Sproul told this story of this man who was doing homeless ministry in Los Angeles. And uh, so he asked him, What's your inspiration for this ministry that you've created? And, and he'd ministered for 20 years to, to homeless and poor people in the city. And he said, well, it's, it's this verse, Mark 14, 7. And he quoted it. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But not always, you will not always have me. And he responded to him and said, well, usually that verse is quoted so that people can ignore the poor. Right? How is that your inspiration? He said, every year I have young, ambitious, and idealistic interns that come to work with me directly out of seminary. They're passionate and enthusiastic and ready to eradicate poverty. After a couple of years, they're burned out and they leave. He said, I've realized that we will always have the poor, and it's freed me from trying to eradicate poverty and allowed me to just serve them where they're at instead. Isn't that an incredible truth? So Jesus isn't saying this isn't important. He's saying that this is a beautiful thing. And that we shouldn't chastise Mary for her sacrifice. Jesus goes on to say that she's anointed his body before burial. Now it was a common practice to put ointment on the body after somebody had died as part of the burial process. This is not a normal thing to do before somebody died. 
then he says something incredible. And, and I think this is probably the most fascinating thing that, that I've read in this story. He says that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, that what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, I can think of no greater purpose in life than to be part of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mary accurately reflected the heart of God at this moment in her story. And it would be recorded in multiple gospels. Her story would be told many, many times over. Even in this moment right now, we're remembering what she did at the feet of Jesus. And in the book of Luke, there's a, a story that's kind of similar to this. There's another woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet, it says, with her hair and with her tears. And she pours ointment on him as well. And the book of Luke tells us that she's a sinful woman. Um, that likely means that she was a prostitute. Now, some scholars believe that this story and the story that we just read in, in the book of Mark are one event, and it was misremembered by the biblical authors or their sources, and, and, and there's some debate as to what the reality is there, but I don't believe that. I think these are two separate events. And I think what happened is that either Mary saw that and witnessed that for herself, or she heard the story of this woman and was moved by her heart. She said, I want to worship like that. In Luke, Jesus talked about the significance of the forgiveness for the one who was forgiven of something great. In fact, after this woman anointed Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair, he told this parable. He told this parable of two people who had been forgiven, one of a small debt and one of a greater debt. And he said, which one do you think is more grateful the disciples answered, well, obviously the one who was forgiven of more. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. That's good. When we recognize the incredible grace of Jesus Christ and what he offers and his forgiveness of us, when we recognize our brokenness and our sinfulness and what he offers to us, that's what stirs up gratitude in our heart. Now, this is not in Scripture, but I believe that what's happening right here is that Mary is recognizing the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And in that story of how that woman was grateful for the forgiveness that was offered to her through Jesus, as she either witnessed it or heard about it, stirred something inside of her where she recognized her own need for a savior her own sinfulness her own brokenness can I, can I just be completely honest this morning there is no one who is forgiven of just a little there's just people who think that they're only forgiven of a little right? our arrogance can get in the way of recognizing how great our Savior is. Each one of us deserves death because of our sin. 
But God, in his great mercy, sent Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Now the story goes on to talk about Jesus, or talk about Judas. And even though Mark doesn't name Judas, he continues his story and then names him in this part of the story. Judas wasn't from the same area as the other disciples. In fact, his name is Judas Iscariot. Iscariot comes from the term Ish Kirioth, which means man from a village, which is just outside of Jerusalem, called Kirioth. So he likely, unlike the other disciples who met Jesus in Galilee, he likely heard about Jesus, probably put two and two together and realized that he was fulfilling the scriptures, that he was the Messiah, and so he went and joined the disciples. Probably because he thought Jesus would establish his kingdom and, and he wanted to be in the cabinet. Right? He wanted a high-level position. He saw his opportunity and he jumped on it. But Jesus didn't fulfill the Old Testament scriptures like, like Judas wanted him to. And that left him feeling pretty disillusioned, pretty disappointed. Instead, he started talking about his death. That was never part of the plan. Right? Judas wanted Jesus to come and establish his kingdom and lead a revolt against the Romans and set up this, this new Israel that would um, be this powerful nation and he would be in a position of power and authority. And now Jesus is talking about being anointed for his burial. That's the last straw. And so he made a decision at this moment. Verse 10 tells us, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, I want to close this morning by contrasting Mary and Judas. You see, one of them recognized their own sinfulness and it moved their heart to extreme gratitude and extreme worship for the forgiveness of her sins. The other was obsessed with self-importance and ambition and greed and it caused him to betray his savior for selfish ambition. Which one are you going to be? Either we can recognize our own sinful heart and realize our need for a savior and come to the feet of Jesus and worship him. Or we can be filled with ourselves and live our lives for us. There's only one right choice. I said this a little bit earlier, but every single person needs to sit at the feet of Jesus. We all need those moments where we surrender to him. So we're going to close this morning by singing one more song. And I'd encourage you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, um, you, know, you can stay where you're at and sing, or, or you can come and fill this altar, find a place, and just take a moment and sit at the feet of Jesus and give him the honor that he's due. Acknowledging that we need our Savior. That it's only by his grace that we are saved. And that it's through his sacrifice that we have hope. So let's stand together and, and worship one more time. And if you want to come, you come.